0: You're listening to The Strong Towns Podcast. Hey,
1: everybody. Welcome back to The Strong Towns Podcast. This is Chuck Marone. Glad you're here. Uh, This week, we are chatting with a friend of mine, a guy I met uh, last year in person when I was in Grand Forks, North Dakota. And many of you might think that Grand Forks, North Dakota is the, the edge of the known world. It's not. It's actually a pretty cool place with a lot of great stuff going on. Jonathan Holt is a business owner. He is part of the Downtown uh, Business Association. He is an outspoken advocate, and we just wanted to chat with him today about some of the things going on in Grand Forks, as well as kind of his role in stirring things up. So Jonathan, welcome to the Strong Downs podcast.
0: Chuck, thanks for having me on. It's an honor to be on with you, and thanks for all the great work that, that you continue to do with Strong Towns.
1: We had so much fun when I came to Grand Forks last year. Everything from you making me the blackened shrimp to just the the spectacular event you guys put on. Can you talk a little bit about Grand Forks, just for for people who do think that it's the it's the edge of the known universe? What are they missing about this place?
0: So Grand Forks is a is a great city, and you know we're a town of about fifty thousand people. We're uh, about two and a half hours south of Winnipeg i um, in about an hour north of Fargo. So we're right on the Minnesota North Dakota border. 50,000 people. We've got the University of North Dakota here. So we've got, you know, another 12,000 students that that are in our community throughout the school year. We've got an air base just outside of town that's another 10,000, 10,000 residents. And there's just a lot of great things happening here. We've got a downtown that's growing and becoming more vibrant. You know, we've got a strong UAS sector that's really taken off in this part of the country. Um, So that's exciting. A lot of great things happening in Grand Forks. We continue to grow and uh, continue to get better.
1: Now in 19, I want to say it was 97, but you know the exact date. I was in the Army. I was in the Army National Guard and we got mobilized to Moorhead, which is our side of the border uh, here in Minnesota. But we were there for the floods. And there were a bunch of people who went up to East Grand Forks in my unit And, you know, we spent time with pumps and sandbags and what have you. Talk a little bit about that as an event in the history of your city.
0: Yeah, so it it was 1997. It it was a significant event in our city's history. Um, So, uh, you know, a, a flood wiped out our city. The entire city was evacuated. So it was really devastating. We had significant population drop off right after that happened. And, you know, it's taken many years to to rebuild and we're still in that rebuilding process, specifically in our downtown. Not only did we have a flood that wiped out the downtown, but we also had a massive fire at the same time that just destroyed a lot of historic buildings. So there was a great debate that happened right after that, that, you know, uh, there was a group of, of people in the city that said, you know, let's let's forget about downtown. Let's go build a new downtown sort of on the edge of town. Thank goodness there was a group of, of city leaders that said, no, that's not going to fly. We need to rebuild this downtown. So after the flood, our city invested $27 million on, on reinvigorating our, our core. Um, we're right along the river, um, so it's just a beautiful area. And we've continued to take incremental steps since then of rebuilding downtown, rebuilding the city. But that wiped out a number of affordable homes. You know, all, all these old 100-year-old starter homes you know, in that $150,000 range were wiped out. So since that time, we've sort of been in an, an affordable housing crisis. Uh, there's a lot of interesting dynamics from it that we still feel today, but we're working really hard to to overcome. And I think we've done a good job, but there's still work to be done. But um, we're coming up on the 20-year anniversary of that flood. And, and I think, you know, if we went back 20 years and said, this is what your city's going to look like 20 years from now, I think for the most part, we would be thrilled and we would be very proud. So uh, a lot of work to be done yet, but a lot of great work that's been done.
1: It actually won your local paper, a a Pulitzer, the, you know, come hell and high water, (laughs) the uh, iconic uh, newspaper cover. It's fascinating because even, you know, like you say, 20 years later, you can still see where some of the empty places, you know, empty stores, fronts or the, the vacant lots really are. Uh, where things did not get rebuilt. But so much of it has been brought back. I think the thing that I was amazed about, you know, Brainerd here, my hometown, is the center of this tourist area. While our population's 20,000 in the winter, in the summer, we get in this county, we go from 50,000 to 200,000. You're downtown, and I want to talk a little bit about your business, too, uh, your restaurant, but, but... The downtown in Grand Forks just puts ours to shame. I mean, there's so much to do. There's so much going on. Uh, There's so many great little restaurants and great little places to hang out. How did this happen? I mean, was this a very conscious, we're going to rebuild this thing and make it something special? Or, you know, was this really just kind of people filling in the gaps?
0: You know, I think it was... A little bit of both. I think that you know, dating back to the flood and after the flood, you know, like I mentioned before, I think our our city leaders at the time, um, our city council and and the mayor, you know, made a conscious effort to say, okay, look, we, we want to rebuild our downtown, and to do that, there needs to be some necessary building blocks for that to happen, and I think that they laid those blocks in terms of, you know, they they saved some of the buildings, the city jumped in and, and purchased them and resold them to business owners at a very low rate to make sure that we maintain a certain level of locally owned business. Um, So I think they laid the building blocks. And then since then, I think it's been a lot of incremental work. I think we've seen a lot of small business owners and city officials that have taken small steps to whether it's just improving the streetscape in certain areas, um, whether it's, you know, making sure that, you know, there's enough housing. There's been uh, an emphasis on on the amount of housing in downtown Grand Forks. Knowing that, you know, if, if we get the people down here, then the other things will, the businesses and and the arts and culture will come will come after that. So, I think it's been a bit of both. I really look back and. And look at the incremental work that's been done. Guys like me, I'm I'm an impatient guy. I want I want things done tomorrow. You know, I, I get frustrated a lot of times when when we have great ideas to to bring to downtown um, that they can't happen overnight. But I also understand that you know this work takes time, and we're talking about changing a culture too here um, that's been so ingrained in people. You know, some of this new urbanism. You know, this mentality just telling people why it works and why it should work and why it's so important. You don't just tell someone that and then they get it. So this is, you know, we've taken steps to hold events and open new businesses and change, you know, streetscape and landscaping and things like that uh, over time, knowing that sometimes the best way for people to understand how important this is is just for them to see it. I think it's been a slow process, but I think that's been really beneficial for us. I think it's been the right way to do it for our community so that we don't shock the system and so that people can see the change and be proud of it over
1: time. Talk a little bit about your business. I want to emphasize as part of the conversation here that you're a dad of daughters. That kind of defines us, but he, you're also a business owner. If people ask you, hey, Jonathan, what, you know, who are you? What do you do? You say, I, I'm a, I own a business. Talk about it a little bit.
0: I've got two business partners. The three of us own three restaurants. It's called the Toasted Frog, and we've got three locations all in downtowns, all in North Dakota, Grand Forks, Fargo, and Bismarck. We opened our first location in downtown Grand Forks just over 10 years ago. So we just celebrated our 10-year anniversary. It's been great. You know, in North Dakota, um, in and specifically in the three downtowns that I mentioned, um, we just had such a great response from the community. People tend to uh, support local in North Dakota. The nice part about the size of our community is that it's, uh, in size of all three communities is that they're big enough to support, you know, a very busy restaurant, but the communities are small enough where we really get to know our clients on a personal basis. So we've been very fortunate and, you know, the business itself has given me the opportunity to get more involved in, in a lot of the, the, uh, the city planning and, and, and fun stuff that, that goes along with community building. So I'm certainly grateful for that, but the restaurants keep me busy. They're, they've been great, and it's been so fun to be a part of Three Downtowns and seeing them grow as the business has grown over the past decade. We're very proud of the restaurants, but we're more proud of the, of the way that the community has supported the restaurants.
1: Now, y- you said they keep you busy, but I have heard, and I think I heard this on the radio this week, that you, you're you a guy with way too much time on your hands um right.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> now, <laughs> yeah, right. I want to talk to you about that because a lot of times when we see activists, and, and let's just speak with a very broad brush here, that they, they often come in two varieties. They come in the variety of the old lady or the sidewalk superintendent, the the retiree, someone who is at the point in their career where they're not trying to balance Raising a family and you know bootstrapping a business and all this stuff, or they come in the variety of just like paid busybody, right? Maybe someone who this is what they're supposed to. This is their job. This is what they do. You're a person trying to make it. I mean, you're a person trying to get these businesses started and and, and operate. And you know, running a restaurant is a big deal. It's a lot of work. You got a family. Why do you feel compelled to spend time, uh, and, and for lack of a better word, I'll say, advocating or at least you know, volunteering within the community to, to try to make it a better place? Why is that so important to you?
0: I've chosen Grand Forks as my home. Uh, I was born and raised here. I've got roots here. I hope that you know my kids. I hope that they call Grand Forks home someday too. I'm sort of looking at this a little bit, to be honest with you, as, as a future grandparent, um, you know, am I, am I doing enough to make sure that my kids want to raise their families in Grand Forks? And from my perspective, there's only one way to do that, and that's to get involved. The community that I want to live in, that I want to be a part of, is not going to just happen unless citizens get involved and let elected officials know the type of community that they want to live in. So I saw an opportunity early on to use my business as a platform to get involved. You know, we formed a downtown development association a little over three years ago and got 80 businesses in the downtown area to come together and just start talking about opportunities in our core. And it just sort of evolved from there that, um, I saw some, I saw some great things about our community that I thought needed to be highlighted, but I also saw some, some missed opportunities. And if we don't as citizens get involved and, and lend a voice to, to the other citizens, then we're just, we're not going to get what we want out of our community. I did an interview just the other day about a local, we're trying to get bike share going in Grant Forks, for example. And the reporter said to me, well, you're a part of this bike share program. Who are you representing? What, what organization do you represent? I said, I said, my kids. And he said, well, yeah, I get that. But, but what organization do you represent? Are you there for the toasted frog? Are you there for the downtown development association? Who are you there for? You know, what should I put as your title in the article? And I just said, I'm, I'm a citizen. I just, this is something that I want to happen in our community. I think it's important. So I want to be at the table for it. So I think we get defined by organizations and who we represent and who we work for. And I think because of that, then people start to look at, okay, what's the motive? Is is he in this, does he want to make money off of this? What's, what is this business going to be better because of this? I think it's important to, to let people know that, you know, there are people that just want to live in better communities. And that's, honestly, that's one thing that I love so much about, the strong towns movement and why I've followed it so closely and why we brought you to town is that there are people from all across the country, from all different walks of life that just want better communities. They want stronger communities. And that's something that I I don't think has been represented as well in Grand Forks. So I wanted to try to take that lead and try to bring as many friends along with me as I could and get as many people involved as I could.
1: I've had the good fortune to speak a number of times in North Dakota And one of the things that I've joked about in other places, I actually contrasted it with a talk I gave in Little Havana. Uh, In Little Havana, I started talking and immediately people started talking over me and asking questions. And it was more of like a Thanksgiving dinner at like a rowdy, uh, uh, you know, rowdy family's place where everybody's kind of talking at once. When I've spoken in North Dakota, everybody sits politely and listens and then, you know, when it gets to question and answer, they, they probably don't say anything, maybe come up and talk to you afterwards in private is a far more reserved culture. When I first met you, you were out on, you know, you went out on stage and were introducing me and introducing other people and talking about the downtown business association. And I, I just wanted to give you a hug. Like, I like you, you're a nice guy. Talk a little bit about, yeah, we'll talk a little bit about, uh, being a nice guy in a North Dakota culture, but trying to at the same time like shake things up a little bit what what's the fine line as a business owner that you walk to do this
0: that's important you know you mentioned the culture and, and business, and for the most part, you know business people sort of stay out of the politics of things right because i don't want to I don't want to do anything or say anything publicly that might jeopardize someone wanting to come and, you know, frequent my business. So, it's sort of that fine line of of how do we how do we do that the right way with North Dakota and with the people here being nice and and reserved and conservative. I think, you know, the best way to do that is we sort of just do things incrementally and it's really about how we craft the message, right? So, every time You know, I don't show up to city council meetings and bang my fist and point at the city councillors and tell them what they're doing wrong. So we go instead into a meeting and we say, here are the 10 things that you all have done this week that are fantastic. And maybe we should work on this one thing. Right. and. And then after I say, this is the one thing we should work on, then you'll list five more things that they've done fantastically. So, you know, it's sort of just crafting the message. And, and also, you know, I mentioned earlier that I'm impatient and it's just sort of getting over that and, and understanding that, you know, small steps can go a really long way and, and sort of the end goal. I, you know, I think back to when you were here and, you know, we went walking after dinner and, You know, my friend Jason said, "Ah, I envision that alley, by the way, as this amazing pedestrian walkway someday. And it was dark and it was dirty. You know, since that happened, we had an event in that alley and then we had some artists paint the dumpsters. And now that alley has been officially dedicated with a name. It's been completely cleaned up. And now we've got a developer that's building a building that's going to have alley facing retail on that alley. So small steps that don't necessarily offend anyone. None of those things, you know, uh, offended anyone at all. That's how we make progress in a city like Grand Forks and in a state like North Dakota. It's just sort of take small steps and invite people along for the ride.
1: Let's talk a little bit about parking. Because parking is one of these things that, you know, <laughs> I, I got I got hammered on when I was there. You guys have, like every city, that I've practically ever been to, you have an excess of parking. Uh, yet, if you talk to people, they'll say there's not nearly enough parking. You have some proposals on the books to spend large amounts of money building more parking. Talk a little bit about, about that, because I, I think there's a part of it that says, well, you know, you're a downtown business owner, and a lot of downtown business owners are the ones who advocate for more parking. Yet, you know, you have been, I mean, you've been part of our Black Friday parking thing every year. You've, uh, I think, been a voice in trying to restore some sanity. Talk a little bit about that dynamic and what that's been like for you to engage your fellow business owners.
0: Yeah, it's been, um, I, I guess it gives me a little bit of solace, you know, hearing you say that we're a lot like other communities, because I get frustrated because that's, the topic that leads all discussions here. And that's been incredibly frustrating. You know, we're talking about right now, building a new public library in our city. And the first question that gets asked and the question that's dominating the conversation is the amount of parking that's going to be available. And that's that's leading the location discussion about the library. So we're not even talking about the benefits of a library and what it could do for our community and how we could make it incredible and how we could pair with the public school system to have some really great maker spaces and a new public library. Instead, we're talking about, are there enough stalls gonna be there wherever it's at? Because if they're not, then I'm not going. So that's the culture here. And that's one of those things that is, from my perspective, is gonna have to change if we wanna be a really great community. It's also one of those things that I've figured out in my discussions over the past three years that I'm not going to be able to sit down and convince uh, anyone that we have an excess of parking just by telling them. So we've gotten to the point where, okay, we need to show the data. And, you know, I've, I've, you know, put my GoPro on my vehicle and driven through the parking ramps and taken footage, you know, a dozen times and tried to show that to people and, and it's still that. Then it opens up people's eyes a little bit. But trying to get people to understand the importance of place and and how that how that's so much more important than the parking itself. And the example that I use is, you know, we're a town of fifty thousand people, and we have a hockey arena here that seats twelve thousand people. College hockey is king in Grand Forks, and every weekend, every Friday and Saturday in the winter, we sell out this hockey arena. So 12,000 people pack this hockey arena. Well, there's not parking for 12,000 people (laughs) at the arena. There's not parking for 3,000 cars at the arena, but people take the bus to get there. They walk for blocks in the dead of winter to get there. They carpool to get there. Some people bike to get there. And they do that because the place matters to them and the event matters to them. I've never heard anyone say, I'm not going to hockey because there's no parking. And that's because the place is incredible. The arena is incredible and the event is meaningful to to them. So why aren't we taking the same approach with our other buildings in downtown? I've never had anybody tell me that I'm not coming to your restaurant because there's no parking around there. People come because they like it and it's important to them and they'll walk a couple blocks. So, you know, I I try to continue to use examples like that and pair that with data um, to show that we have an excess of parking and try to change the conversation. Um, But that's, man, that's, uh, that's the bane of my existence. I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of a joke in Grand Forks. Like I'm the parking guy. Like when the word parking gets brought up and I'm in a meeting, like everybody laughs and and looks at me because I'm the parking guy. But it's, to me, it's really, really important. I mean, it's incredibly important. So I'm, as annoying as it is for my friends on Facebook and Twitter, uh, I'm going to keep banging on that drum for a long time until we make some significant change.
1: Right. I'll talk a little bit about Fargo here for a second, because Fargo, one of the things that I, I think is really exciting about the, the many exciting things that have happened recently in Fargo, uh, one of the things that's particularly exciting to me is that the North Dakota State University campus has set up some satellites downtown and has started to do some of their programming downtown and really has done a lot to try to connect the the campus and the energy of the campus to the energy of the downtown. University of North Dakota, yeah, great hockey school. A lot of the engineers I worked with professionally went to the University of North Dakota. You know, it's a great university. I think the the sad thing about it is that it is rather isolated from the downtown. Talk a little bit about the importance of a library downtown and how that in a place like Grand Forks kind of culturally is a point of friction, right?
0: Right, right. It is. Um, And I think the point of friction, you know, in the city of Grand Forks is that, you know, I think we've got a percentage of the population that really gets excited about downtown growing and becoming more vibrant and more urban feeling. And I think we've got a percentage of the population that says, you know what, we're just kind of perfect how we are. So the library location debate has been something that's been going on in this town for six years now. I mean, it's it's something where almost everybody's in agreement that we need a new library, but we can't get to the point where we're talking about what that could mean for the community because of the location debate and everybody that we've come, that we've had come to town. Um, you know, we've had you come to town. We had Hazel Boris here earlier this year. Everybody that comes to town and visits kind of says like, well, it's, I mean, I don't, it's kind of a no brainer, you know, <laughs> right. where, it should, where it should go. Right. 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 But, but not in Grand Forks. Um, so, you know, the two proposed locations are, are downtown, which, Would be an incredible infill project. And whether people like to say it or not, there would be plenty of parking available for the library. I mean, it would be across the street from a very underutilized parking ramp. And then the other location is sort of in the geographical center of town, attached to, not attached to, but adjacent to a mall. And that's got a sprawling parking lot. So, you know, everybody says, well, if we put it there, there's enough parking for you know, half the city to, to be at the library at one time. <laughs> right. um, Cause that's and, how libraries
1: and, work. Right. <laughs>
0: exactly. Right. Right. So, you know, a lot of the, and a lot of the, the debate has centered around, well, what could a library do for that neighborhood? Right. What could it do for um, you know, that mall area? And people are saying, Oh, if we built a library there, that small business will come and, and it'll be just this great area of town all of a sudden. But, I think we're asking the wrong question. I think we should be asking, instead of asking what could a library do for a neighborhood, we should be asking what could a neighborhood do for the library? And when we're looking at, you know, downtown and the amenities that are already in place, we're lucky we have, we have a high school in the heart of our downtown with a thousand students. There aren't many downtowns left that have a high school, a historic high school in the heart of downtown. We have that. So the future of our community would be less than a block away from a new public library. I mean, that's a huge opportunity and sandwiched in between the two is an underutilized parking ramp. I mean, that we wouldn't have to build anything for. So it's been contentious. You know, there's a lot of people that say, well, the downtown people, they want everything downtown. So, you know, of course they're going to advocate for downtown. They just want to line their pockets, you know, as if someone's going to have, you know, a date night and go out to the toasted frog for, you know, a fine dining meal. And then, to the library. In addition to that, it's been a contentious debate. Uh, It's unfortunate. You know, the people that are advocating for the mall are saying, look, this is the geographical center of town, which makes the most sense because it's easy access for the most people. But, you know, we've got to remember there's 183 metro communities in the country. And in terms of uh, commute time, Grand Forks ranked number one last year for shortest commute time. So when we're talking about the geographical center of town versus downtown, we're talking about a a 45 second difference in drive time here. I mean, we're not talking about, this is going to be eight minutes versus 45 minutes if you put it downtown. So we'll, we'll keep plugging away and advocating for downtown. You know, we're not big enough to get an anchor downtown. We're not going to get a a big box store downtown. We're not big enough in the community. A library could serve as a significant, public anchor for this community, something that we could be proud of for generations. And and I hope that, uh, I hope the city council makes the right decision and puts it downtown.
1: It was really fascinating when I met with the, the newspaper board there, we, we had that small group of, I don't know if we call it vested interests or the, you know, decision makers, that kind of thing. And we talked about the school and the parking ramp to the school. And I think one of the fascinating things to me here at our high school in Brainerd we assume that every high schooler is going to drive and they all need a parking spot and it's in the, in the public responsibility to provide a good school, a good cafeteria, good extracurricular activities and a parking space for every student. And you guys have yours as like as well in the downtown. And we we kind of pushed a little bit on that. You know, it, does every student need a free parking spot? Like you know, like This shouldn't cost them anything. It's like, is this part of every Grand Forks kid's education? And the the response was, yeah, yeah, pretty much everybody's got to have their own free parking spot uh, at the school. Is there any movement on looking at that as kind of like a bizarre standard? Like North Dakota, I mean, you guys do pretty well as well in terms of education. I mean, kids coming out of the Grand Forks school district, it's a, you know, these are really good kids isn't there like a thought that like we could do so much more if we weren't putting millions of dollars into parking kids?
0: Yeah. And this, you know, this, this debate sort of, or at least discussions about it, you know, sparked about about two and a half years ago when, when the public school district bought a building in the heart of downtown adjacent to the school um, with the intention of just knocking it down to build a parking lot that would add 40 more stalls and at, at, you know, at a cost of 1.2 million dollars you know, that's when a lot of people sort of really got involved and said, wait a second here, can't we find a better way to spend $1.2 million? And, and part of it is, you know, we're still a city that, that has parking minimums in our downtown, you know? So some of these policies that are incredibly outdated that need to go away are still on the books. So, you know, I can't fully blame the school district because if they don't provide X amount of parking spots for the school, then the city charges them. You know, the city fines them and they have to pay a fee every year. We've got to work on both ends of that. Uh in terms of, you know, the the parking itself and and you know, like you mentioned, providing a parking spot for every kid that goes to school, that to me is is indicative of the culture that's been created in Grand Forks that's different from when I was a kid, how that's changed. Because when I was a kid, we biked a lot to school. We've still got neighborhood schools. Um, from the elementary all the way up to high school here, and somewhere along the way in the past 25 years, that's changed. You know, the bike racks outside of schools are empty now. So I think in terms of what we can do, you know, I talked earlier about n- not shocking the system so much in Grant Forks because people don't do well with that. You know, what I'm working on now is working with some some fellow parents and some of the school board members on. Getting to kids early in elementary school and talking about biking and walking and getting to parents and saying, look, this is important that we we provide the the best safe routes to schools for kids to be on their bikes so that by the time they get to high school, if someone lives five blocks away from the high school, they don't even think about driving because they're just used to biking and walking. So I think some of that culture stuff in terms of the pedestrian biking culture we're working on getting to kids at a young age and getting to parents when kids are young so that that can alleviate some of that uh, as we move forward. And of course, we'll still continue to uh, work hard to get rid of the parking minimums too.
1: I want to ask you about Arbor Park because Ar- Arbor Park is its one of these really success stories following the, the flood, but now has become a source of contention you're trying to follow through on some long-term plans and things get kind of stuck sometimes. Can you talk a little bit about Arbor Park, how it came about and what some of the things that you guys are dealing with now?
0: Sure. So Arbor Park is a, there's a little pocket park in the heart of our downtown on, on one of the main corridors on, on South 4th street. After the flood that we talked about earlier, you know, there were a number of buildings that were knocked down in downtown Grand Forks because of the fire, because of the flood. And the city, with some of those, said, you know what? These aren't ready. We're not ready to build new buildings yet. So let's hold on to these parcels and save them as placeholders for future development. And when the downtown gains a lot of momentum, then we have these parcels and we can sort of dictate what type of development we want there. So,
1: so everybody went out and, and put up what they do, like in my town, when they're going to keep a parcel, say, they, they put up the chain link fence around it and you know the like stay out signs right because you're holding it for future development right
0: well and herein lies the issue right and that's that the city had the foresight to say okay we're going to make these we're going to make these little pocket parks incredible and they designed them really well and they took good care of them and they put public art in them and we've got little free libraries and we've got places to sit right and they said so we're going to make these placeholders usable. Um, until we're ready for development. Well, now they've become parts that people have an emotional attachment to. So we've got, you know, I've got a, a dozen friends that have had their wedding photos taken in Arbor Park. You know, I've got people that enjoy it every day. So now we're at the point where, okay, we think we're ready for development. And now it's really divided the community. Wait a second. These parks are great. We don't want a building here. I keep telling people, if there's one lesson that we should learn from all of this as a city, it's that well-designed public spaces matter. Because if if we would have done with that parcel, what you just described, put up a chain-link fence, stay out, kept it an open field, nobody would care if we were building a building there. They're talking about building a building there. But now we're at the point where the city actually says, you know what, infill, de- infill development is good. Um, we've got these parcels, so let's let's entertain some proposals. Let's put out an RFP. And, you know, a a large portion of the community has said, listen, we need to keep this park a park. So it's, it's been a, it's been a contentious debate. I think we have an opportunity to, to build a building there and also make our other public spaces nearby incredible. I mean, we've got three pocket parks that are all within a stone's throw of each other, right on the main corridors of our, of our downtown. So, you know, what are our opportunities in terms of getting more housing getting more retail space, but also making sure that public spaces are something that are on the forefront and that they're designed well and matter to people. So it's been an interesting debate, but again, I keep going back to if, if this is an empty field, nobody would care. So we should all learn that uh, well-designed public spaces really matter to people.
1: Well, there's a, there's a certain irony here too, because I think had you gone the chain link fence and, and you know, the weeds growing up and all that, it wouldn't have helped the downtown get to the point where you actually have development demand. So in, in a sense you did it well and now you're kind of a victim of your own success in a way.
0: Yeah. And so, you know, some of the city leaders that, you know, were around after the flood and they're still around today that are, that are, you know, talking about Arbor park, you know, are sort of feeling like, man, you know, we're, we're sort of almost being punished for, for taking too good of care of this space. Um, because, you know, we said we'll, we'll take great care of it, and then when, when downtown's ready, we'll develop it. And now that they took great care of it, downtown's ready, you know, people say, well, we don't want to develop that park. So it's been an interesting debate, and, you know, the people that want to keep it a park that don't think like me on that, I, I I like them and I respect them. You know, this is a situation where the ceiling is really high in terms of what we could accomplish downtown, but the floor is pretty high too. Um, you know, if it stays a park and we don't get more housing, we don't get more retail. We still got an incredible public space in the heart of our town that people enjoy. So
1: I think back to like these frontier towns of the, you know, late 1800s, early 1900s. And I think the, the myth that we have in our mind is that these were places that were largely run by the business communities you know, you had the railroads come to town and they would lay out the downtown and the, the merchants would come in and, and you essentially had this, you know, for, for better or for worse, you had this merchant class that made sure things functioned and, you know, things were kept up nicely. And, you know, the, the minimum amount of stuff that, you know, and you'd say in a crass way benefited them was meant to work. And there's a certain logic to that. And there's a certain thing that I think we stand back and look at. There's, there's also a part of it as Americans, like we think, well, you know, modern America, we should be far more inclusive than that and have a, have a, a far broader range of interests with that as kind of like a context of maybe the way some of these places were built originally. I want to ask you to kind of talk to other fellow business owners about what you think the role of a business owner is, and maybe even the responsibility of of a local business owner for making sure their city is a strong, healthy, good place to live. What what is the civic responsibility that you think your fellow business owners have?
0: Well, a great question. I think you know from from my perspective and the way I've looked at it, and and, and when I've talked to other business owners whether it's through, you know, the Downtown Development Association or through the Chamber of Commerce um, is, is I try to, you know, say, let's keep in mind here that there are a lot of things that contribute to a strong business environment, not just say like the tax rate, right? So we, we, we hear a lot when we're talking about public policy and how our cities are designed and and where businesses get involved and business owners get involved is when we talk about the sales tax rate or we talk about regulations and things like that. But for me, the success of my business, the success of uh, a lot of the small businesses in Grand Forks, is dependent on so many different things. And that's, you know, it's dependent upon the the number of people that visit our city and the number of people that visit our city is determined by, you know, how our city is designed and what we have to do here. So business owners should be involved with how the city looks. They should be involved with event planning. When I look at what makes our business successful, you know, we're, we're, close to the Canadian border, so we get a lot of Canadian visitors, and if we don't have a really exciting city, Canadians will keep driving right past us to other cities. Honestly, when I've opened businesses in in three different cities, I've never asked what the sales tax rate is. I've never, I've just never cared about that, but what I do want to look at is I want to walk around the city and see what's going on, and I want to see what other businesses are down there and what they're doing, and I want to talk to them about how we can work together, market our businesses together, get more people to enjoy the city. So I think that, you know, in general, it's not really sexy for a business owner to sit and talk about parking if it's not directly tied to the parking outside of their business. Um, Well, it's not really sexy at all ever, but how we look at parking for our entire city affects our business environment. And how we look at parking in our downtown affects our business environment. And the number, you know, the amount of bicycle infrastructure that we have near my business has a direct impact on my business. So I would say that, you know, to other business owners, it's all all these things matter. So don't look at just sort of the, the black and white, what's in front of you, what's normally pitched to you and what's asked of you for your involvement, but look at everything because it all has a greater effect on your business than you might think.
1: We are we are both fathers of daughters. I sent mine off to 4th grade and 6th grade yesterday, which was, you know, in in some ways less traumatic than in in past years, but still was <laughs> it, it's a it's a passing of time that's that's kind of sometimes, you know, hard to ponder. You had a bigger you had a bigger event yesterday. You sent your oldest to kindergarten, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So my, my oldest started kindergarten uh, and then I've got my second daughter um, started preschool at the same time. And then I've got um, a one-year-old too, that's in daycare. So yeah, I've got, I've got three daughters in three different places now, which makes the mornings uh, at our house frantic, but yeah, sent, you know, sending the oldest to kindergarten. Well, it was certainly tougher on, on mom and dad than it was on, on Sophia, our daughter. Yeah, it was a little bit traumatic. More so because she didn't really care when we dropped her off. Uh, I think it would have been easier if she would have wanted dad to stay around. But, uh, but you know, like you mentioned earlier, we've got great public schools here and we live, you know, we live five blocks away from our elementary school. I'll have kids in that elementary school for the next decade. So I'm able to walk my kids to school and someday have them, you know, be biking to school. So that part about Grand Forks in our, in our neighborhood, I absolutely love.
1: Well I was happy for you, and I just want to say congratulations it's it's uh It only gets more fun it really does, and I know that 's hard to believe because they 're a blast at the age you 've got now but uh you know at at some point they uh they become you know even more interesting to converse with and they they have their own their own ideas and attitudes and uh you're in for a lot of fun
0: i'm I'm looking forward to it Good. so
1: well, yeah. Jonathan, thank you for taking the time to chat with me, and and thanks for being a member, Strong Downs, and and thanks for really all the work you do advocating in in the Grand Forks area. It's, I love being friends with you, and I, I love staying in touch. And so, keep at it, man. You you inspire me.
0: Well, thanks, Chuck. I appreciate it, and, and you know, your visit here, you know, a little over a year ago, meant a lot to this community, and we've we've seen some of the work that you advocated for happening. So we hope you'll, uh, we hope you'll come visit us again soon.
1: Oh my gosh. I'd love to make it happen. Let's do it. All right. Great. All right. Thanks friend. Take care. All right. Take care. Thanks. Bye. And thanks everybody for listening. Keep doing what you can to build a strong town. Take care.
0: We need your help. If you think the strong towns message is important, don't keep it to yourself. Pass it on. You can get more information and sign up to be a member of strong towns at strongtowns.org. Times what? Yes. Who said that? They know that America's one big pothole right now. Bill, 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 Bill. That's a start.
1: Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating.
0: Oh made it city? I like you. I like your vision of the of the world. The United Nations Earth Summit Agenda 21. Yeah.